Thank you for being here. The use of a land acknowledgement is to honor and acknowledge my presence on the traditional lands of our First Nations peoples. It was a practice by First Nations people when traveling through other nations' territories as a sign of respect. I acknowledge that the city of Hamilton, where I record this podcast, is situated upon the traditional First Nations territories of the Erie, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, Mississaugas, and the Chonodon of the so-called neutral tribes. Hamilton is also directly adjacent to the Haldeman Treaty Territory. This land is covered by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant, which extends between Montreal and Fort Erie. It was an agreement between the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe. That wampum uses the symbolism of a dish to represent the territory and one spoon to represent that the people are to share the resources of the land and only take what they need. Hamilton is home to many Indigenous peoples from across Turtle Island, and this land acknowledgement is a small gesture to recognize the rich history of this land, and so that I can better understand my role as a settler, as well as a neighbor, partner, and caretaker. I stand in solidarity with all those that fight for justice on behalf of the murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, LGBTQ+, and two-spirited people. I grieve the generational trauma created by the residential school system and the 60s scoop. I grieve the children and childhoods lost through ignorance and racism. Miigwech. Thank you. Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here. Before we dive into this story, I wanted to give you a bit of a background on a few things we reference in our conversation. First, The Secret. The Secret started as a documentary film by Rhonda Byrne. Created in 2006, it talked about the law of attraction and featured several self-proclaimed experts, one of whom was James Arthur Ray. An appearance on Oprah propelled the awareness and interest in the film, book, and related merchandise into the stratosphere. The so-called experts featured in the film all benefited from this worldwide attention. None more so than James Arthur Ray, who parlayed that attention into a successful speaking and self-help workshop business. This part of the story culminates in the fatal sweat lodge incident. This is a passage from an article written by ABC News that summarizes some of the details. More than 50 people participated in the October 2009 sweat lodge that was meant to be the highlight of Ray's five-day spiritual warrior seminar near Sedona. Three people died following the sauna-like ceremony meant to provide spiritual cleansing. 18 were hospitalized. Ray's attorneys have maintained the deaths were a tragic accident. Prosecutors argued Ray recklessly caused the fatalities. Ray used the sweat lodge as a way for participants to break through whatever was holding them back in life. He warned the participants in a recording of the event played during the trial that the sweat lodge would be hellacious and that participants were guaranteed to feel like they were dying, but would do so only metaphorically. James Arthur Ray was found guilty of three counts of negligent homicide. He served two years in an Arizona prison. A final note, this so-called sweat lodge incident was not a traditional Indigenous sweat lodge. 
I use that term as it is how this event is referred to in the reporting. There was no participation by Indigenous healers in the creating or conducting of the sweat lodge. This is episode 37. If there was a continuum, yeah. it's become a horseshoe. And, and at one end of the continuum was uh, the alt-right, QAnon, out-and-out conspiracy thinkers and theorists. And at the other hand, it's the consciousness crowd. Yeah. And what the pandemic has done is it's created this shitstorm where for whatever reason, and I think there are a number of them to explore, they've bowed around and they look the same, they talk the same, they believe the same. And so some of my struggle with that is, is looking at on above and beyond the challenge that I was a part of, which was a charismatic leader with a very unhealthy environment. There is not a stitch of regulation anywhere that all of these helping professionals, who whether they realize it, are under some kind of influence from the, their queue adjacent, they're parallel. They're running in parallel right now, and, and it's a very dangerous thing. And again, people are dying as a result of believing or not believing, and their other actions are swayed by this cult of personality. It's the conversation I want to have, Linda, so, so I welcome it. I was taken with this story on so many levels, and it confronted uh, a whole bunch of things that were so powerful. And I have a short intro for you. Please feel free to correct me on anything that I might might miss or that I got, that I got wrong in putting this together. You're a daughter and stepmother. Are, do you have any siblings? I have three younger brothers. You're a former high school teacher, trainer, sales professional, multi-entrepreneur, and now are a photographer, podcaster, writer, and professional coach. In 2008, at the height of the Great Recession, you were at a personal and professional crossroads. You became involved in the self-help industry, first as a client and then as a coach. And then your path took a tragic turn. On October 8th, 2009, you were present at what became known as the Fatal Sweat Lodge Incident in Sedona, run by James Arthur Ray. Three fellow workshop participants James Shore, Kirby Brown, and Liz Newman lost their lives, and dozens more were injured. You've spent years recovering from that night, and you were asked to relive it through the criminal trial, through CNN's Enlighten Us documentary, and Wondery's podcast series, Guru, exploring that fateful night. In 2017, you created Free Your Inner Guru, a podcast for ethical leaders and discerning seekers. And today you're building the Free Your Inner Guru leadership community for conscious leaders to participate in supportive and change-making conversations. Welcome to the arena, Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Linda. As I was listening, I'm taken aback by the arc of that story. And sometimes it's hard to believe that it's actually the story of me. The cult of personality that allowed this person to reach a point where he was able to surround himself with people who bought into what was being said, that there was a culture of not questioning what was being asked of them. And they went forth and put themselves in a situation that 
put themselves in danger, put their friends in danger. And at the end of it, unfortunately, three people died in the case of this sweat lodge incident. And it's just this way of humans hearing what they need to at a time when they're at a place in their life where they need to find a way of making sense of something and and an intense need to belong and believe in something or someone. And as I say, we're finding ourselves in this place again with QAnon, with the previous president and all that's been going on and all the anti-vaxxing mindset. I appreciate the role that you are taking on as someone who is wanting to make a difference in both the coaching community, but also the self-help community to bring an awareness to perhaps the dangers, but also there are tremendous benefits in doing the journey of introspection. So welcome to the arena, Laura Tucker. That was a very long preamble. (laughs) You'll lob it over to me now. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) There wasn't really a question in there. It was just a statement. It was a huge, long thing. Oh, gosh. I welcome the opportunity to share a laugh because the on that because the subject matter is very heavy. And it's that's been a part of the dichotomy of staying with this story, or not hiding from this story over the years. Is there space to truly, you know, be myself? I am a very serious person. But I'm also a lot of other characteristics as well. Just having the opportunity to laugh and just relax into a, a big topic if that's possible. I, I find it interesting and gratifying in a sense that you're drawing a parallel between what you've observed of the story, uh, which is a little bit more accessible right now than it has been in the recent past couple of years that i there's a documentary about it called Enlighten Us, which was released on Amazon, I guess, late last year. So mm. it's back. And uh, the Wondery podcast guru, The Dark Side of Enlightenment. And just to normalize it a little bit, if that's possible, at the end of the day, I was at a spiritual retreat. I had gone to a number of workshops. This is now fully 12, 13 years ago, when even going to these workshops was still very much kind of a fringy thing to do. It was just starting to come into the mainstream. And to be honest, I stumbled into it. I was consulting in the automotive industry from 2003 up until 14. But being a consultant in in the automotive industry in the Great Recession, that was a highly impacted industry. And things that had been pretty much easy and formulaic became very challenging. So I was looking for some solutions, but I was also as my financial pillar, which had been strong, relatively strong to that point, was threatened by the constant fear of losing work. Some of my other personal challenges were becoming more evident and I had struggled with depression in the past. And so I was looking for alternatives and that's how the secret came to me. Somebody, a friend of mine had noticed that I was struggling Just like picture somebody reading their first self-help book and wanting to learn more or listening to a podcast and wanting to learn more. 
And so I fully pursued after trying a couple of the other secret teachers on for size, I decided to go to James Ray's workshops, which, and this is the tricky part. I still, to this day, I'm grateful for some of the things that I I learned there and that I learned from him. And sometimes I feel like in order to have the full and proper conversation, you almost have to pull that apart and say, Mm -hmm. yes, there's some good things. There always is. When you look at these dynamics, the people who are attracted into the self-help arena and beyond, there's always something of value there. And, And then other less healthy dynamics we're piling on. Out of curiosity, because this is part of your story that I don't think I've heard is take me back to the dinner table when you were growing up. What was dinner conversation like? Sure. So I, I'm the eldest of, of four. I have three younger brothers. My mom is a retired teacher. My, my father was an executive at uh, Coca-Cola. So very much a traditional household. It's funny, I'm not all that different now than I was as a child. Fairly serious, loved to read, loved to learn new things. Being the only girl and the oldest of four, I was very much a little micro leader in our environment. <laughs> <laughs> Often left in charge and, and yeah. grew up very, I grew up quickly. And uh, and then not to give you the whole life story, but I have a, a rebellious streak. So while I never got into serious trouble when I was younger, there are, there certainly are some good stories, but I was like always wanting to go and very independent. Mm. And I was always streamed academic and went to post-secondary school. It's sad now in, in retrospect, but I defaulted into teaching as my first career and wish that I had chosen it more intentionally. Hmm. But those er years in my early 20s, I wasn't really in a good headspace for the academic life that I had been streamed to. And so rather than pursuing, it was the 80s or in early 90s. So I, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer because LA law was on. And I realized halfway through my undergrad that probably I wasn't all that motivated by the flashy competitive. You know, if, if I had understood what social justice law was, I probably would have stayed with that. But I got to the end of my degree and I was like, what am I going to do? So I became a teacher. And I think that's important to, to raise because I have had several stages in my career and some of them very much felt like I just defaulted into the next thing. And it was really in those years of the recession. And I see a lot of parallels now on on that regard too with the pandemic. When you're put into challenging times, for a lot of us, it's a call to to go within and go deeper and try to figure out like, really, what's this all about? Mm. Have I really been busting my hump doing X, Y, Z? Mm-hmm. For what? What's the purpose of this work other than to put food on the table? And I have some different views about that now, but that was definitely in play then. And I, and it's been a consideration this past year and a half as well. For sure. And I'm 100% sure that a lot more people have faced that within themselves in the last year and a half of what's it all about? What's it for? What's my purpose? All of those kinds of questions. There may be an obvious answer to this question, but what event in your life has had the most profound impact on you? Mm. 
So the sweat lodge, given the events, is certainly the most dramatic and mm -hmm. obvious. Mm -hmm. But I actually, I'll choose something that happened in 2002. Mm -hmm. It's a precursor to the entire story. We have a very close-knit family with our cousins, and my youngest cousin was killed in a car accident on October 22nd, 2002. Mm. And on that day is the day that for the first time in my life, certainly not the last time, I questioned my own mortality. Mm. And it was also the day that I stopped taking antidepressants that I had been taking in order to survive the corporate environment that I was in at that time. Something inside me just said, and it did occur to me almost like a voice from the backseat of a car that I needed to feel what was going on. And I recognize that voice now as my intuition, a little disembodied in that moment, but it was definitely my intuition saying, this is real. And this haze between you and it needs to go. And that was definitely a defining moment because it ultimately led to me leaving corporate life. And then in the next couple of years, picking up photography as a, and investing very heavily into it as a creative passion and ultimately leaving Toronto to go live in Western Canada for nine years on this creative journey. In Kelowna, which is a beautiful place and a favorite place of mine in Canada. Oh, yes. The podcast, my podcast, is about living a courageous life. And I'm sharing stories of a wide variety of people who have experienced, been forced into or chosen moments where they've had to show up courageously. What does living a courageous life mean to you? When I think of the times that other people may characterize as courageous, it's to me, courageous is a tough label to, to apply to myself. Because I think on the other side of that is actually a moment that you're feeling fear and you don't feel all that courageous. Um, but showing up and doing what is necessary in a moment, say a moment that I could look back as extraordinarily difficult and required facing my fear was testifying at the, the trial that was subsequent to the sweat lodge. I was terrified. And there was a lot of, there was a lot at stake and there was a visibility on it that I was very uncomfortable with. Certainly when three people die at a, at a, a sweat lodge in the middle of the desert, it hit the news big and broadly. And so that media coverage was something that I just wanted nothing to do with at the time. So mm -hmm. even right up into going into to the courtroom to to testify, I asked the judge to to turn the the cameras off. That I didn't want to be on CNN. It was believe it or not. Like I sometimes I totally don't identify as someone who's testified at a trial that's been broadcast on CNN. Who does that? Not right. And I will say this is going to sound almost unbelievable. But recently, during the trial for the murder of George Floyd, I'd go downstairs in the middle of the day for lunch and flip on the TV. And 
it always seemed to be when one of the key witnesses was mm. on the stand. And I was having this very strange experience of not having to work to have empathy for that person testifying to an extraordinarily painful thing that they had borne witness to. Yes. And, and I don't think I had ever allowed myself to really think about the impact that had on me, particularly with the, the young witnesses. Mm -hmm. Will they have the support? Will they have the, like, the amount of support and trauma that I saw there, knowing how challenging it was for me to find the type of support that I needed at that time? So it's just one of those, it's one of those things. So like showing up and being intentional and staying true to, even if it's something you don't want to be doing, staying true to your values and your ethics and hanging in there. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I've ever, that what I've tasked myself is to do my very best on this. And then once it's out of my hands, it's out of my control. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the scariest thing. If I may offer, I th what I saw as being courageous through this process is a willingness to put yourself out there and examine on a constant basis what happened. There is that sense of, if I have to have had that experience, that something good does come of it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty loaded. Thank you, first of all. I think that's that you've observed that is in line with how I hope people observe me, if that makes sense. The name of my podcast is Free Your Inner Guru. It's, it's about living from the inside and out mm -hmm. and instead of the outside in. It's the constant tug of war mm -hmm. um, between those different forces and, and perspectives. I try to monitor how much energy and attention I, I give to what other people perceive that I'm about. Because I think there's just like anything else to do with this thing. And it's, there's the full gamut. There's, I'm sure there's people who are like, why won't she shut up about that? And then there's people who are really want to hear it and all points in between. And one of the things that I have found challenging and disappointing so far is that the focus has been less on the lessons and what can be done about it and more on the sensational aspects mm -hmm. of what happened because they're sensational enough on their own. You know, three people died in an enclosed structure with 50 plus people in it doing what was meant to be an indigenous inspired ritual and ceremony. And I did air quotes and I said, inspired just yes. my perspective on that has shifted over the years. The way that it was all set out was as another physical challenge. So the physical challenge to stimulate or catalyze the break that that much vaunted breakthrough that will get you to the other side. For me, 
there was a, a breakthrough at every single workshop. And it's a hallmark of going to this style of self-help workshop is that there will be something physical to either reinforce, create, or symbolize the work that you've done together. It's very common practice. And in the subsequent years, and I think this is congruent with my personality, I've found that type of pursuit of those breakthroughs, it's like a hack of the process. And they don't stand up because they require another breakthrough. They require another hit. Mm -hmm. It's addictive by design and, uh, and it keeps people coming back for more. And there's an industry built around that model. And I guess what is most disturbing to me is that in all the time since, nothing really changed. And sometimes when I say that, people will counter with, well, I think people toned it down. And I was like, well, maybe some of the self-help leaders in 2008, 2009 at the height of the, the secret, maybe they toned a few things down. Maybe people self-governed and self-regulated, but nothing's ever been done to make sure that a conscious bad actor that comes into the self-help space, who is charismatic, who is manipulative, who is using tactics and techniques that are known to be highly indoctrinating and manipulative, unbeknownst to the people in the room, can do similar harm. And I think that might be if, and I want to throw a question to you on it. I think that might be where some of the parallels are to be drawn today in the broader societal context. Mm -hmm. Because in, in a way for me, this last year and a half has felt like a very long sweat lodge waiting. There's a lot of waiting there. The fracture of community in the aftermath was, it was, it was like a bomb went off in the middle of a community. And people were either for or against. Nuance disappeared from the conversation. And that was about the time where I disappeared from view because I knew that I was going to be needed at the trial and it was not going to serve me to show up in the media and be the, my fellow survivors who did go in the media at that time were not treated well. And so now I think because I ultimately stayed in the self-help space, and because I see that these dynamics have replicated and grown in so many ways, this story will be told. And really the only way I'm going to be happy with how it's told is if I tell it. How do you continue to grow in a way that is safe and healthy for you? <laughs> Slowly, steadily, consistently. The first thing that I think was the most important in terms of my growth was that I took a break from self-help. Mm -hmm. I took a five-year break while I dealt with the level of discombobulation and while I dealt with questioning my value as a human being after being present and I felt a party to such a horrific outcome. And I do think that is still an important step in the process is to withdraw, spend some time with your own thoughts, spend some time with your own feelings 
and check in to remember who you are. And part of that in this course of this last year, like I like being in learning communities. I like connecting with people in that way. It's part of why I'm creating one that's deliberately, in a sense, leaderless Mm. or guru free, because I don't think there is a guru. I think that's a false assumption right from the get go. Mm -hmm. I think someone can be a fabulous teacher, but if they are positioning themselves as having some external kernels of wisdom, um, I feel like it's time for the self-help consumer to outgrow that type of content, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. because I, I feel like the hyper focus on the guru and that rock star individuality is at cause for some of our most glaring concerns these days. And while we want to have personal agency, we don't need an industry to basically be a breeding ground for narcissism. Oh yeah. What impact do you want to have on the world? I used to think that the difference I wanted to make was that I was going to be a coach and a speaker who transformed the self-help industry from the inside. And I think my, the timeline on that for me has run out. It's not been for lack of, of trying. It's just, I have not found that like, I want to run an authentic business and treat it like the other businesses that I've had. Mm -hmm. But none of the other businesses were so personality driven. And quite frankly, none of them required the amount of marketing and constant promotion, which becomes self-promotion. And I think there's something in that in terms of the legitimacy of the business, that if it means that you basically have to be out there every single day indoctrinating other people, maybe we should be looking at that. Is it even real? And I know that opens a can of worms, but that's the the type of exploration that I'm doing. Starting my podcast was the luckiest thing that I've ever done because it, it gave me a voice again. And it allows me to sit with some very thoughtful, intelligent people and take these topics apart and put them back together. And so I've decided of late that the only way for me to really make that desired difference is to share the story, that the power is the story. Mm. And, and it's not about, in a strange way, it's not about me anymore. It's not about James Arthur Ray anymore. It is about the dynamic that is present and repeatable. Because I think a lot of people, to be clear, James Arthur Ray had zero intention for anyone to be injured or hurt that day. That is not what went down. Mm -hmm. Nobody knowingly went into an environment to cause self-harm or harm to others. That was a part of the sheer and utter heartbreak. But if that can happen in an environment and with such a horrific outcome, then that needs to be looked at. If all these people with all these good intentions come together and something like that can be created. This is horrific and it can happen over and over again. And I think that's where we're seeing it happening when people cluster around beliefs, Mm -hmm. good or bad. 
Yeah. When you take it with the QAnon and with all the conspiracy theories, the ability to mobilize people who otherwise from the outside are just regular folks, seemingly regular folks, educated, intelligent by any standard, and suddenly they're buying into something that I might say, what are you talking about? And that was my response initially. And I thought, how is this possible? How does somebody find themselves here? And of course, that's exactly what happens is that in a situation where you're vulnerable, you're looking for something, you're looking for something to follow, something to believe in, something to help find your North Star. It's a very dangerous and vulnerable place. This is something that I've only very recently been willing to look at. And if you if someone were to listen to me in Guru, The Dark Side of Enlightenment, the seventh episode, it's like a six-part mm-hmm, serial, mm-hmm. and then the seventh episode is a, a panel. Mm-hmm. And you would hear me and and Ginny Brown, the mother of mm-hmm. Kirby Brown, who passed away, uh, talking about how this is not a cult, that there are certainly things that are cult-like, but this is not a cult. And we take great pains at differentiating what went down in Sedona on that day and what was going on from these crazy cults. And it's only been within the last several months that I have been willing to peel back that layer. And there's a few reasons for that. One is definitely what we see happening in society, the polarization of, I'm Canadian, but in the United States, the Democrat, Mm -hmm. Republican, We have dynamics like this in Canada as well, but also how everything has been politicized around that very binary perspective. And life is in the nuance, right? Truth is in the nuance. And so this is, this type of thinking is not healthy and it it engenders very unhealthy dynamics. So more recently from listening to podcasts, Conspirituality, and a little bit culty, which is a couple of cult survivors from Nexium, mm. who are able to treat the subject matter with humor while exploring. I ended up getting in touch with a cult expert. And, uh, and so peeling back the layers on the cult dynamic and seeing that the actual cult experts will tell you, this is not a, a, it, it, this is not a binary perspective. It is a mm-hmm. continuum. Mm-hmm. And anywhere that there is influence and indoctrination, these dynamics are present and it's incredibly unhealthy. So I have to be prepared to look at that, to thoroughly understand, but also if my role, which I would love it to be, is to educate on these things and to educate on how self-help can be these things. Mm-hmm. So that someone at the other end of this conversation could say, there but for the grace of God go I. And I know a lot of people have that reaction when they see us and think that could have easily have been me. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that I'm interested in connecting with because they're curious, educated, you want to make a difference. And as it turns out, that is the recipe for vulnerable to a cult. And is it deeply uncomfortable as that is, the more you learn about I'll put this in first person. The more I learn about this, the more I realize that it's the best aspects of me 
the ones that I like the most about myself, creative, curious, sensitive, want to make a difference, caring, highly empathetic, intelligent. These are all the things. And so I'm learning to get comfortable with the word vulnerable Mm. and not see it as weak. And let me tell you, there's people out there that want to hoist weak onto people like me and people in similar situations. And let me tell you, recovering from that, that is the opposite of weak. Yes. If you had the opportunity to have a five-minute conversation with someone, living or dead, who would that be? Liz Newman. Mm. Yeah. For the listener, Liz is the woman who was beside me in the sweat lodge, who, although she did not die on scene, she died in the hospital a week later. And I would give anything for five minutes with Liz Newman. Hmm. Any final thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up? Go gently. I'm going to assume that people listening here are people like me and you who are seekers, who have great big heart and who probably have a story of their own and to, to go gently, to not force. And the obvious analogy to the sweat lodge is there as far as forcing your breakthroughs and forcing your growth, but even more so is to learn to go, this is the thing that I'm still learning, but to go gently on myself. I have been the queen of heart on myself. And that didn't do and hasn't done anyone any good. So to go gently, and there's real strength in that. Hmm. Any questions I've asked you that you'd like to ask me or anything else you'd like to ask? What made you curious about this story? I think I wanted to understand, because I think 90% of people out there go immediately to judgment, like how could you and how how could you get sucked into this? I think when you meet someone who's been in that kind of a situation, it made me realize that it could have been me. That the seductiveness of the challenges, the seductiveness of getting closer to the teacher, the guru, and all of the scenarios that are in our world every day where someone in power, because this is a story about power, it's about self-help, and that's the narrative of this situation. Those who twist the power that they have to their own benefit, whatever that happens to be. And you see how that person is so vulnerable. They may be intelligent, they may be educated, and yet they get drawn into this situation. And so it's so easy to heap blame or heap shame or labels on someone without fully understanding and putting yourself into their position to say, let me really sit with this story. Let Mm -hmm. me really understand and try and put myself into this person's position 
and how important it is to to educate people around having their own agency, listening to their bodies, listening to their gut, listening to themselves. And I know that, again, in the Guru podcast, there was Ginny Brown. She talked about how the people who were there, including her daughter, were trained to not listen to themselves anymore and not listen to their bodies to be desensitized to that. I'm not sure if I've answered your question. Yeah. And for me, I see what happened to us as a microcosm for what happens broadly and pervasively. Everyone is trying to influence everybody. Mm -hmm. And this whole experience has changed how I consume information. Mm -hmm. I have done my best to not become cynical, but to become as highly discerning as I can be, which means that my toleration for inconsistency in character is just about zero. And and some people may characterize that as having standards that are too high. I'm willing to come forward. Like there's no hiding from it. It's on the internet. I figured that out around 2015, that if I was going to, at the time, enter into coaching, there's no way that I was going to escape it. So I decided that then we need to hit it on the head mm-hmm. as best you can. If people are investing in projects to tell the story, um, do the best I can do to bring credibility, to bring um, empathy, to represent myself and my peers, including Liz and Kirby and James Shore, to represent as well as possible. Because for every single person that can go from out and out judgment saying there's something wrong with them to some position of empathy where whether it's it could have been me or it could be me or I think I know someone who that is right now. I think the storytellers have more capacity to heal by sharing story than any amount of preaching. You know, there's a place for education, there's a place for opinion, but but also authentically sharing story can move people in ways that that a top-down approach just doesn't doesn't do it. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure to be here. Since our conversation, Laura has waded into the indoctrination and cult dynamic in self-help and wellness on her podcast with cult expert Jana Lalich and yoga industry disruptor Wolf Terry. The Free Your Inner Guru leadership community is also in full swing. They meet once a month on Zoom and share leadership practices. I will put links to her websites and social media in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast. And if you feel someone else might benefit from listening to this episode, please share it. Leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please feel free to reach out to me via my website or email at lynda at 
I look forward to sharing my next guest story of recovering from boyhood traumas and a career in the military to become a successful serial entrepreneur. Until next time, my name is Linda McLaughlin in The Arena.